Show is brought to you by Johnston Group, Vittorio Rossi, Trans Canada Brewing, Lou Ferlin, Cambrian Credit Union, and Homefield. Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weave from Sportsnet. Together, this is Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after what I can only assume uh, was an absolutely disappointing game for any Jets fan watching it out there. Um, I said it at the end of the last show. If you were watching the last show, uh, we had a great time at TransCanada Brewing Company for the live show. Thank you to them. Thank you for the crowd that showed up. we got one more coming up next Saturday. Uh, we'd love to see a packed house there. Hopefully, we're on our way to that um, after selling out the first three. Um, Want to make it four for four. So, uh, But I'd said at the end of it, I don't know what to expect going into this. Going into that game, someone said, what's going to happen today, Rennie? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to expect from the Winnipeg Jets. You never know what version of them you're going to see. Um, and then that's how I ended the last show. What did I expect them to do against the St. Louis Blues? I had no idea. And that's when I went on my rant about good teams. You kind of know what to expect from them, right? Like the Boston Bruins for the entire season have been consistent. And then they fell off their consistency right when, you know, they were about to play the Jets. They'd lost three or four games, two of them to, you know, some, some subpar teams that they were playing against. And their coach was able to identify exactly what they were doing wrong, uh, called them out for not having the proper effort. And then what did they do? Well, they turned around, they took the Winnipeg jets and they shut them out and then moved on and then started kicking some butt out in the, uh, in the Eastern conference all over again. I mean, if you're asking me what the, the, the Boston Bruins are going to do in their next game, I've got a pretty good idea what they're going to do. And I don't cover them. I've, I mean, I've seen them live once this year. I've watched a couple of their games, but I've got a pretty good bead on what that team is going to do next. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets, I have no idea. And tonight is a perfect example. I mean, I don't see this as a must-win game. They get a little bit of breathing room because Nashville, what's happening to them is what I said I expected to happen. Now they reach their murderer's row of a schedule. And how do they start it? Well, they get absolutely destroyed by the New York Rangers after pulling off uh, you know, two blown leads in the third period against the Winnipeg Jets. Um, that doesn't mean the Cal- Calgary Flames can't turn things on. We'll, we'll dig into that a little bit later. But I, if, if you are expecting that the Winnipeg Jets are turning things around. I think that's what we've talked about a lot on this podcast. The idea that, okay, maybe here and there we're seeing signs. We're seeing signs of a a turnaround by this Winnipeg Jets team compared to when they lost seven of eight games. Well, the fact that they got two points last game and a couple games before that, they get two straight wins and, and, couple games before that they get a point uh at least against the San Jose Sharks and they beat the Edmonton Oilers before that right it's still basically 500 hockey which is not good enough but it at the very least was them you know not losing seven out of eight games it looked like they were making progress so you're looking for that next step and it just feels like what you're seeing is every time they take a step forward in one direction they turn around they step on a rake in the very next, uh, with their very next step. That's what we see here tonight. I mean, they come out, they're fired out of the cannon to start the game. And I'm thinking, okay, here's a team that gets it. 
they get the situation there and they get the fact that they played with fire the night before, but they come out of playing with fire in a situation where they bettered their advantage over the national predators and the Calgary flames. And now here's an opportunity to take a struggling team. The St. Louis blues are a struggling team. You think that the national predators sold at the trade deadline and gave up on any chance of competing down the stretch. The, St. Louis Blues are a team that sent a lot out the window and are not trying to compete down the stretch. And yet here they are in a game, for the most part, I take a look at this, out-competing the Jets for, for much of that game. Um, going to the harder areas than the Jets for much of that game. Uh, doing the things that they need to do to sacrifice to win that game ahead of what I'm seeing from the Winnipeg Jets. The shot clock, that's an illusion for me in this game. We're going to get into Connor Hellbuck and his performance, but it's like the Jets are saying, well, we're not going to allow any shots unless they're high danger. Well, then let's let's allow that. We'll let the we'll have that come in and make that part of the, the discussion, but I just I just I I don't see how a team in the situation that the Winnipeg Jets are in with someone knocking at the door, nipping at their heels in the Calgary Flames, who again, I, I, you know, I'm not sure where they'll go again. We'll talk about that, but the National Predators get busted up tonight. I don't think the Nashville Predators will be uh, much of a, a concern down the schedule or a factor down the schedule unless they take a win away from the Jets down the stretch. Um, but uh, it, you you need to show you're a playoff team. And if I'm sitting here on this podcast and I'm talking about that game against the Edmonton Oilers a little while back that they that they won and that Josh Morrissey, you know, stood up and kind of put the team on his back and they go and they get a victory out of that. And if I'm talking about the Florida road trip as, you know, signs that this team is turning things around because they get four straight points and then they go and, and at least compete against a team like the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, and then, you know, a lot of people trying to say the game against the Bruins, even though I didn't see it this way. A lot of people trying to say, well, that game against the Bruins was, you know, a pretty close game and a couple bounces go the Jets way and it's an entirely different thing. And now we are right there with the best team in the league is how I felt like some people saw it. I didn't see anything close to that. But but if you're looking for signs of turnaround, those are some of the things that you can potentially look at. But here's the deal down the stretch. Every sign of turnaround by this team is greeted with a sign of them doing something that is the exact opposite opposite of that. If you are looking for signs of belief in this team, every time they give you a sign or something to believe in, they turn around right away and they give it back and give you a reason not to believe in this team. Yeah, they go and they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. Well, the next game against Carolina, yeah, it's close. But they also have Kyle Connor and Mark Scheifele and Nino Niederreiter benched for a significant portion of that game because they're not getting they're not getting the results that they need or the effort they need from their very top best players who they need to rely on to get there. And then we turn around, we have this situation where they, you know, play with fire, go into the third period against a Nashville team that has nowhere near, nowhere near the firepower that the Winnipeg Jets have. They pull that one out of the fire and they respond by basically firing blanks for the majority of a game here tonight. There was not enough net presence. There was not enough of a thought process of going and making life miserable for a rookie goaltender a first-time goaltender this they should have made his life miserable they should have made it so that he wasn't sure he wanted to play in the national hockey league that's 
how you greet a goaltender like that into the game, especially if you need a win against a team that you are better than in almost every sense of, of looking at this to, to muster the effort the Winnipeg Jets did here tonight. I, I, I could not, I could not point to a better example of lack of consistency or reason to not believe in this team that this team gave on this night against this team in this situation. This is a tough one. This is a gut punch. This is, you know, if you're looking, if you're looking for hope, people, it waned a little bit. And, and I'll say this again. I'm going to end this before we bring in Ken the same way I did. I still, I still think the Winnipeg Jets are making the, the playoffs, but it has nothing, nothing to do with faith in the Winnipeg Jets and everything to do with the failure of the teams around them. Maybe that failure is about to disappear. It's something Ken and I are going to have to talk about. But first, if I'm going to talk about it with Ken, i got to bring him into the show. And you know how we bring him into the show? We play the best music in the business. Here comes my main man, Kenny. Kenny, my friend, I'm sure you're spending your time getting stuff done before you head out on the road later this week for the last big trip for the Winnipeg Jets down the stretch. It's going to be an interesting one, the way things are going. They seem to want to tempt fate at every single turn down the stretch here tonight. A great example of that. That's what I saw. What do you see? Yeah, I didn't see playoff hockey. That's that's what I didn't see. Uh, what I saw was a Jets team that kind of looked like it mostly went through the motions and I know that Rick said, you know, in the post game here to Jeff Hamilton and Mitchell Clinton that, you know, this is a team that's trying and they care. And I don't dispute that, but they just aren't playing with the level of urgency required at this point. So that's a problem. Now, <laughs> you can understand why Nate Schmidt is saying having a chance to rectify the situation in the last 11 games is better than last year, where they were basically down and out in Beverly Hills. But at the same time, this is a month-long problem. And if they don't get it sorted out, then that, that's that's an indictment, Sean, right? There's no other way to put it. So uh, this team hasn't played well enough for quite a long time. They, were, they found a way on Saturday afternoon, which was important for them. And the fact that they split the weekend games, I would say, that put them in a better spot than what it could have been. Uh, there's been some debate over a split being an abject failure, but... They didn't lose any ground. I mean, but at the same time, that doesn't mean they're getting closer to being where they want to be uh, in terms of how they need to be playing down the stretch. This is a this is a bordering on a 40 game issue, right? This is a 30 to 40 game issue for the Winnipeg this Jets. This is a this is a 2023 issue. It started there even though they were on a win streak. Their game started 
corroding, eroding, rotting in the middle of that stretch. Rick Bonus was putting up the warning flags within the first couple of days of January, and they've never recovered since. Yeah, I mean, and that's 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 a good way to put it. The, the, you can't you can't keep having the same problems and then wonder why they're not being solved, right? It, they haven't been solved. That that that's part of the issue here for the Winnipeg Jets. So it, it's completely a head scratcher. Joel Hofer played well enough. I mean, it was his fourth NHL start. He wasn't a first time NHLer, Sean. But I know what you mean. I mean, he's a rookie, and they didn't make hard enough, life hard enough on a rookie goalie who. Sure, he was excited to play his home province and hometown team, but this is a guy that's auditioning for a spot. Sean, you talked about it. The Blues were obviously selling because they were hoping to dip in the standings to have a better chance in the sweepstakes, in the lottery. They're trying to reload on the fly. They they have nothing to play for, yet they found a way to convert their opportunities. And not only that, they had two wide open backdoor taps and then a clear-cut breakaway. So if you're the Jets, you cannot be giving up that quality of opportunity against. People will say, oh, well, Hellebuck didn't have any work. He didn't have a lot of work, but it could have been 3 4 nothing in the first period. All they were giving up was great, were grade-A opportunities, and a lot of it was from lackadaisical coverage, Sean, and, and just absolutely... Not non-playoff hockey. That that is that is the only way that I can describe this. They're not playing like a team that is trying to qualify for the playoffs and be a team that wants to have success in the playoffs. So it's very confusing in a lot of ways. But you know, at the same time, maybe we shouldn't be confused. This has been happening for a while. Maybe this is who the Jets are. I mean, oh man, they, I, they, I, they have an opportunity to change that narrative, but right now they're not changing the narrative. Uh, you're, so, I don't know. I, I've been saying that for a long time. This is exactly who the Winnipeg Jets are. Start sure. the season hot, fall apart. This is why I said they shouldn't be making moves at the trade deadline because wh- why would you invest in something where it's going in the exact direction well, you've been seeing it going for a long time? Go for because it. you need to change. That's why you you yeah, should have you changed could, it because you, you need to change the issues. You don't need to change. Like, what? How are you going to do it now? How are you going to well, do it by like the trade deadline is a time to buy and invest yeah. in your existing core. It's not the time for you to change out the core. And it brings me to this right here. Uh, Dan Tacho says Scott Billick has said it best. The best thing to happen to the Jets would be to not make the playoffs, forcing something to finally happen or finally change. I. I don't think the Jets need to miss the playoffs for this. I said this heading into the trade deadline. I said it weeks before the trade deadline. The Jets are tearing down after this season. It's coming. They don't need to have a full and complete collapse. And let's say they limp in one point ahead of the Calgary Flames or they're tied in the standings and they get in by virtue of row uh, regulation or overtime right. wins, which they are way ahead on right now. Do you really think that's going to change anyone's mind? And they're going to think, no, this is what we've got here to, to Ken's point right now. It's the thing that I feel like I've been preaching for, for months and for previous years. This is who the Winnipeg Jets are. Everyone got it in their head again. And I say this, Ken, 2018 was such a remarkable season for the Winnipeg Jets that not only in the minds of their fans, but in a lot of the pundits across the country, a lot of the journalists who cover hockey, it emblazoned them 
as this unstoppable force that could wake up at every minute and at any minute in so many people's minds. And they, people were so taken in by that idea of the Winnipeg Jets that they failed to watch and see that this team has been on the down. It's one of the first stories I did on Hockey Night in Canada this year. Sorry, it was Wednesday Night Hockey, the first right. second game of the season. And I showed a graph of the Winnipeg Jets from 2018, and their results had gone down, 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 down every single year. Nothing about this should be should blow fans away. This is exactly who the Winnipeg Jets have been showing they are for a very long time. Yeah, it just it's been very uh, interesting, right? <laughs> and maybe we're partially to blame for part of this, right? And, and this was one of the discussions going around today. I mean. The fact that the Jets started out strong, that that's that's what they do, right? I mean, they beat up the competition when the games aren't hard yet, when teams haven't got into structure. And down the stretch, they just have not been able to elevate their level. Uh, we both, you, know, you said they could finish third, maybe, I think, in the division, and I had them more as a wild card. I thought so, they could finish in third, yes. Right, and I, yeah, I, they had the potential. I was, mean, yeah, Julie Sue is bringing this up. Everything that I said Oh, welcome back also, on, by the way, Julie yeah. Sue. Yeah, Julie Sue's been busy. She's had things that she needs to deal with. Um, but th- what I said back then had everything to do with the faith of a new head coach. What I right. did not see coming, in all honesty, was was the idea that this team would revert to exactly what we've seen it become under two previous coaches when one coach seemed to have got through like that. This, to me, is going to be the post-mortem on this season, is that the Winnipeg Jets were shown that a specific type of hockey that they could very much play with the pieces that they had brought them success, made them fearsome and put them in the conversation as being one of the better teams in the league. And for whatever reason, they decided to abandon that style of hockey. That will be the postmortem, regardless of whether they make the playoffs or not. And the question will be why, why would a team do that? Why would a team see the way, know the way, understand the way execute the way and then say all right let's go back to what we were doing last year and it goes back to that conversation we had ken that one time when i asked rick bonus about this when they started falling down right. i said when you get a team <laughs> and he was annoyed he was yeah, a bit annoyed by the question <laughs> but you get a team that has has fallen like it did last year and, and I, I put the Vegas Knights in, in that category because the Vegas Golden Knights, too, last year fell flat on their face in, in a year that they were expected to do really great things. And then for a while this season, they fell they flat pretty on their face. They were banged up, again. though. They were banged up last season, or you're talking now? Last season. I mean, now they're missing stone, but last season they yeah. were near the lead, no league lead in man games lost also. Yeah, but they definitely no failed to meet expectations. It. But but the idea of once you become like because Rick Bonus said going into this season you got to get back up into the playoffs why because you can't allow yourself to define yourself in your mind as a non playoff team right and so at the beginning of the year it looked like they were doing that and so was Vegas and then Vegas fell flat on their faces and I was wondering because the Jets started falling apart how much of this is like those not just old habits forget old habits right. allowing yourself to think. Ugh, the weakness of thinking, yeah, but we were so bad. What if that happens again, right? Allowing that mindset to creep in. Asked Rick Bonus about it, and he'd said, we have been fighting that the entire season. And I was kind of blown away by that comment, but he'd seen it. He'd seen this team 
and its tendency to look over its shoulder and be like, we were bad. And, and I wonder, Ken, if that's what caught up with this team. I wonder if this team just at some point when things got tough for the first time this year, last year things were tough and they crumbled. This year they got tough. The Winnipeg Jets fell down and they have not been able to get back up since. They've not been able to dust themselves off. They have fallen. They've lied down. They're holding their stub toe, rocking back and forth, and they've been doing it for almost three months now. But I, I honestly think Rick Bonus is blown away by the mindset of a team that can revert to something after seeing so much strength. But I think that we saw that, like, if there's ever a game where I think a team lost a game between the ears, tonight's that game. Yeah, it's super interesting because we talked about this at the time, right? And Rick Bonus was very much saying for the Jets, like they were early on, they were embracing, Sean, embracing the opportunity. And Rick Bonus talking about the responsibility of battling for first place. Now they're basically hanging on for dear life. And that that to me is the confusing element. They were playing an up-tempo and aggressive style of play. And right now, they're not doing anything quickly. Nikolai Ehlers pointed out right away, we got to play fast. When the Jets are effective, they're aggressive and playing fast. And right now, they're not doing that at all. And when they, this is the other part that is absolutely mind-blowing to me. Why are the Jets talking about a great opening five minutes? Yeah. Why no, could you just, not respond from a goal against? Who cares about five minutes? The games are 60 minutes or longer. And goals against happen. The fact that the team can't bounce back. Okay, you're frustrated you gave up a goal. Big deal. There's tons of time left in the game. It was a bad flyby. Mark Scheifele had a bad flyby on the shift. Guy gets open in front. It's a backdoor tap-in. But that doesn't mean that you stop playing. And that that's the thing that is so baffling to me. And right now, they got a bunch of guys that are in a serious funk. What is it? So, Kyle Connor, 0-10, 1-14. Blake Wheeler, 17 games without a goal. These guys need to perform. Mark Scheifele, I mean, he had two goals against the Florida Panthers last Friday. It's not a long time. But Sean, here's the other thing we have to address right now. And I wrote this column immediately after the game was played on Tuesday night. How the Jets' top line responds to the benching will determine what happens to the Jets this season. And hold, right now... Hold, 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 hold your thought right okay. there. I love that thought. It's worth exploring. I just want to say, Kenny, uh, Jets didn't look good tonight. But uh, <laughs> if you needed to dress them up and have them look good, all you need to do is send them down to Vittorio Rossi. <laughs> Uh, tell them Frank and the boys need something to be a little prettier than it was. And uh, Frankie and the boys will make you a lot prettier. Head on down to Cordon Avenue. Go see them at Vittorio Rossi. They'll take care of you. Let's do the lamplighter. Uh, let's do lamplighter. Let's do Johnson Group. Got you covered. And then let's get to that point because I think that point is going to be something we dig into for like 15 to 20 minutes after. Sure, and just a quick one for our friend Stonewall Dave, who we saw at the live event yesterday. Stonewall Dave, this is a different version of the shirt. I'm not wearing the same shirt, my friend. This is a lighter color. This is one of the other 
parts of the color palette. So, and, and uh, the other thing you should know, Dave, is Ken, like a superhero, if you go into his closet, it's the same clothes over and over and over again. <laughs> Perfectly pressed. Looks like a million bucks. Don't ask how, just ask how many is the, is what I'm very say. good at doing the laundry, Sean. That's how, buddy. That's how. Uh, the lamp lighter for me is the second goal. Uh, and it, it, in a lot of ways, it's the reverse lamplighter in terms of the Winnipeg Jets performance on the play. Justin Falk with the very solid zone entry, he causes a little bit of confusion yes. for for both Morrissey and DeMello, but they still handle the switch off properly. Morrissey forces Falk to the outside, yeah. which is a smart defensive play by Morrissey. Dylan DeMello is actually, I know people are going crazy. He's actually in position on this play, Sean. But the fact he does not check the stick of Nathan Walker, even though he gets a very little piece of the puck before it gets to Walker and Walker roofs it, the problem is not the positioning. But Barry Lewis, our junior assistant coach, would always say, you got to grab his gun, Sean. If you're, yes. not, if you're not checking your opponent's stick... You don't gotcha. have him covered. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened for the Jets. And in this case, the, this is the Jets' top defense pairing. And, and that's just an error that we understand mistakes happen. But that's an error in that situation of the game where this goes back to what we were talking about. Dylan DeMello knew exactly where he needed to be. He was in position. But if he checks, if he stick, lifts the stick instead of goes for the puck, that goal doesn't happen. And that's not to point a finger at Dylan DeMello. He's playing heavy minutes. But that's a costly goal at a time where the Jets are making a ton of costly plays. And I think that pairing was on for all three goals against, right? So they were also on for the breakaway goal. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, they're pressing. They're pressing. No, and I'm not blaming them. Yeah. I'm just it's, saying the, the fact of the matter. Profile thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that, that I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying that. That was a fact today. That line, that defense pairing was on for all three goals, and that and that's a tough that's a tough night for a pairing that has carried the Jets for a lot of the year. So no doubt, uh, that's your lampy. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, uh, if you want to share with us your lamp later, we'd love it if you would, and you will probably love it if you do because if you do. You are automatically entered to win a frosty, delicious eight-pack of Lamplighter Amber Ale brought to you by our friends from TransCanada Brewing Company. If you can't wait for Kenny and Rennie to provide you with a frosty, delicious eight-pack, then go on down to TransCanada Brewing Company. Grab one of your own at their tap room at 11290 Kennison. It's the spot where our next Kenny and Rennie Live will be just less than a week from now. If you want to head down there, I'm going to try and make it easier for you to do so by throwing up the QR code. Scan this. It will take you to the website where you can buy tickets for that show. They've started moving. Uh, again, I, what seems to happen every time here is once the ball gets rolling, it starts going down the hill like uh, like Indiana Jones running in front of it with a statue. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I know that there were some people that felt laughed out, left out of this last show when it almost seemed like this last show that we had wasn't going to sell out well it did when it goes it goes fast so i would love to see everybody there so we can close out the kenny and rennie live shows with a bang it's going to be hard to top this last week especially because you're not going to be in the room ken but i think we can do it people so uh scan this head on to the website and come join me this saturday down here's your other way to do it first drink 
and all you can eat pizza, uh, appetizers, salads. It's great. It is worth it. Believe me. Ask anyone in the chat room who is there. They'll tell you this. I'm confident they will tell you the same thing. It's a ton of fun. I'd love it if you join us there. And I have to announce our winner of the lamp lighter. And I love it when this kind of stuff happens. The lottery balls fall where the lottery <laughs> ball falls. And they fell in the direction of Bardo, who got the lamp lighter for last show. Bardo, who was at the Kenny and Rennie live talk about good karma happening in that situation. You know what to do, Bardo. You just have to direct message me at SN Sean Reynolds, send me your full name and your email. And I will send you a voucher for a frosty, delicious, a pack of lamplighter, Amber ale brought to you by our friends at trans Canada brewing company. Congratulations, Bardo. Kenny, what was your gotcha covered play of the game on this night? Well, this time, so I wouldn't forget, Sean, I actually texted it to you in real time. So there was a play in the first period, I think, still, where Josh Morrissey, it might have been the second period, but either way, a stick lift on Brandon Sod, which would have been a sure goal, uh, the stick lift by Josh Morrissey. Uh, Another night where, even though he wasn't on the score sheet, he still made an impact and prevented a goal in that situation. And, you know, it wasn't a night where the Jets had a whole, whole lot going on for them, and uh, the runner-up or the honorable mention will be to Nikolai Ehlers for yeah, no doubt. going out of his weight class to drop the mitts in a spirited tilt with Braden Shen, which didn't uh, go quite as well as maybe he had hoped. But I love the fact that he's showing some emotion there. Uh, you know, Some people would argue that you don't want Nikolai Ehlers sitting in the box for five minutes and risking injury, but... At a time where the Jets had nothing going, I've got no issue with this. And actually, usually you would have seen someone like Braden Shen be the aggressor. Ehlers actually initiated the first contact. Shen cross-checked him. Ehlers slashed him and then went out and found him. That shift would have been over <laughs> uh, yeah. without him going out. So I give him a lot of credit for you know stepping up in that situation. Was Maul in the room yesterday? Oh, goodness, was he? Maul says the pizza was great yesterday. Oh boy! Oh, and I called. You know what? I called out Maul. I called him out. Someone oh, he was quiet. That he was potentially there. Oh I man! I gotta say, look at that. Well done, Maul. Hiding in plain sight, Maul. Well done. I I noticed Maul is already up to his usual tricks. He is, uh, <laughs> needles the chat room amongst the best of them and was quiet yesterday. I think. You know what I think happened? I think Maul was worried that maybe, just maybe, his cover would be blown, and then he would have the chat room and the live chat room turn on him, and he, he wasn't sure if he was fast enough to get out of there. That's what I'm thinking happened. So I challenge Maul, if you truly were there. Well done, Maul. Well done. Maybe you should try and make it to the next one and see if you can pull it off twice. Two times in a row? eagle eyes. The eagle eyes. Now we're watching, watching you. you we got it. Wouldn't it be funny if it was someone like Tristan Rivers or something like that? Like a total, just totally hiding in plain sight. That would be something. Oh, that would be great. I love it. I love the idea of it. Okay. Uh, that was the gotcha covered play of the game. I couldn't agree with you more, Ken. Uh, brought to you by the Kenny and Rennie OGs, the Johnson Group. You won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan. Employee benefits proudly administered by our friends at Johnson Group. Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. 
The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues and Teladoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers plan can benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.ca. All you small business owners out there, if you want to make life better for your employees, uh, the Johnson Group are the. Uh, that's the place to go to do exactly that. Oh, T. Will, see, this is a funny situation here. T. Will is suggesting that he has a picture of Mall. I like this because I was thinking about this. T. Will, I know, is going to be here upcoming on the twenty fifth, uh, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about him. I don't know if you've noticed this, Kenny, but there's like a conversation over what T. Will's first name is in the chat room <laughs> and it reminds me of that seinfeld episode where early on they don't know what kramer's first name is they just know that he's kramer and they finally find out that he's cosmo kramer i don't know how mm-hmm. many people in the chat room know but rennie knows what uh t will's first name is and uh might have to get a t-shirt kinda, made hey might have to get a t-shirt made there we go yes yes exactly uh but I love it. I love the intrigue. I love the mystery. So now we've got Maul who's adding to the oh, intrigue and the mystery of the chat room. We've got T oh. Will, T Will, who's uh, who's adding to the mystery and the intrigue. Uh, I know Jeff Kabilis was there yesterday. Jeff Kabilis was in the house having there some fun. There you go. T Mackey's really close, closer than he thinks he is <laughs> with Tim Buck to Will. Not even close, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Scott Westman says T. Will is secretly Lou. That we know Lou is Lou. There's only one Lou. There's only one person who can do what do what Lou do, and that's Lou, no doubt. Okay, let's get back to what you were talking about. The response of the stars. You wrote an article on it, Ken. The response of the stars and how they were come back from being benched. Your opinion? How have they come back? Not as well as they needed to. Um, and I don't include Nino Niederreiter in this mix. Uh, this was a guilty by association in a lot of ways, even though Nino was the guy who stepped up and said he didn't deserve to be playing. But Nino's in a different category here. He is a newcomer to the team, and I actually thought he was involved in the game as well again today. I had a few opportunities in terms of Shifley and Connor today. Uh not good. Zero shots on goal for Mark Shifley. Kyle Connor ended up getting two, I think, late in the game. And at a time the Jets need their star players to be driving them. Right now, they're not getting enough done. And, you know, Kyle Connor, this is, we've had a debate on this one about the first goal. Kyle was on the scene for sure, and he was close to Kapanen. But normally in that scenario, the left winger's responsibility is the right defense or the high slot. So I don't think it's technically his guy, but if you're in the vicinity, better to be checking someone than no one at all, right? And we know that Shifley had a poor back check on the first goal and kind of had a kind of had a flyby on on the play itself and that that and Sean, this is what you and I were debating about. Morrissey is also close to Kapanen, but Morrissey felt that because Shifley was in a trail position, he needed to get in the shooting lane, and that allowed the pass from Letty to be wide open to to Kapanen. Well, so, and he he also had um, he had he also had Kyle Connor go down and turn towards that player, and sure. so I think what happened in that moment was he was going to get the passing lane. Kyle Connor was going to going to get the 
grab the player. And I watched the play over again, Ken. And if you notice, Kyle Connor stops and turns to go back at the player in the space that he's just abandoned the eventual goal score. And it goes in the back of the net. I think that yeah. that's a little bit of a guilty conscience play because, because sure. you've got, you've got Josh Morrissey who is fully committed to the shooting lane yeah, agreed. and he's there. And then Kyle Connor is turning to go back to the player to the zone that he just turned into and then flew out of. Um, I mean, these things are confusing, right? Like this is what, this is what, happens in the nhl when you make good plays the same as the play on the second goal and the jets do this all the time if you can change lanes and swoop lanes back and forth you can confuse the defense the jets defense got confused in this situation but to your point about the flyby ken mark shifley sees the player turn as though he's going to pass the puck right to uh, a d-man who's up on the blue line against the boards so what he does is he turns and tries to pick off that pass in an effort to maybe get an odd man rush. Yeah. He's thinking offense in that moment. Here's the problem. There was no defenseman there. It was a fake. Mark Shifley bit on a fake, and then where he left opened up a spot for the next player to come in who was trailing past it straight to him. That started the confusion. It ends up in the back of the net, but that's the wrong play. That's a player who's cheating for offense and ends up creating offense for the opposition team. Uh, if we go back to that second, uh, sorry, let's let's just stick on that. Ken, yeah. I'll say this. The response when those players didn't come out, we talked about this, the response when Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley did not come out after the game against the Carolina Hurricanes was one of, and, and th- th- this for me was the biggest thing. Nino Niederreiter has walked in here and he's been everything that you could have hoped he would be. He has showed a level of care for the new guy that I don't think the majority of guys who've been there for a long time have. And if you start thinking about the idea of like having pride in your Jersey pride in the fans that you represent, all those kind of things, it's problematic when the biggest driver of your engine of this team over the last little while has probably been your two candidates for MVP, Josh Morrissey and Connor Hellebuck. And Vladdy Nemesnikov and Nino Niederreiter. Like these are the guys who look to be going the most out of anybody. Why are the new guys leading the charge for a team that they barely know anyone's last name on the team already at this stage, right? Like some of these guys probably don't quite have the trainer's names down pat yet. You know what I'm saying? Like they're walking in and the security guys fist bumping them. And he's like, Hey, thanks for that, Dave. And he's like, it's not Dave, it's Al. Sorry, thanks for that, Al. You know what I mean? Like, these guys are brand new, and they're now the culture carriers on this team. That is a massive problem. So to put him in front of the moving bus in that situation is what I liked least of everything, right? I I still, you know how I feel about this. The fans know how I feel about this. These are millionaires playing a child's game. It doesn't mean there aren't stresses. Doesn't mean there aren't issues involved with being a pro player, but I am a big believer that the number one thing that every decision should be made by you, me, you can, me, the players, the coaches, the owners should be with a mind towards the fans. And I don't care what anyone says. The fans want to hear from someone like Mark Shifley or Kyle Connor after they've been benched. That's what they want. And you should be giving the fans what they want. It's not about me. I don't have, I'm not arrogant enough to think that Mark Shifley needs to come out and talk to me specifically. 
but I serve the fans and I do a job of grabbing his message and moving it out to the fans or at least representing the fans by asking questions I believe that they would ask. That's why it's important for those guys to get out there. Putting Nino Niederreiter in front of that bus was wrong. And here's the deal. After that, before the Boston game, when those two players were asked to come out, I thought that Kyle Connor was extremely contrite. I thought he said the right things. I thought he was like, you know what? I was not uh, asked to go out there. I didn't think that I was. That's not what he said. He said his number wasn't on the board. He didn't say he wasn't asked. Okay. So his number wasn't on the board. He's following directions. I mean, if that's, if that's a scenario. Sorry, Mark, Mark was asked first. So this is the scenario. Mark was asked first. Mark said he was not interested. Kyle was asked afterward, I believe. So I don't think that it was a fact that he wasn't asked completely. I just think, sorry, it's not, not just uh, just trying it's to important. sort that out. It's important, but in I this guess case, it's it, important. So I was trying to get to Shifley's response. Shifley's oh no, response no, for sure. I, Shifley's response was, "I didn't come out because I didn't want to." Okay, all right. So Mark Shifley was defiant in the face of this. Um, for a long time, fans have loved the defiance that this team showed over the years. Winning cures all ills, and they loved the fact that every once in a while they'd tell some, someone in the media to go stuff it and go pound sand yeah. or whatever. Fans love that stuff. They do. Honestly, they love it. You know, they sit here and they listen to my takes and your takes, and some of them pull their hair out, some of them agree, and when they get one of the players who tells one of us to go pound sand, if they don't agree with what I'm saying, they absolutely love that, right? I think that's that's a trick that the Jets got away with. Certain players on the Jets got away with for a number of years. It gets harder to do it when you're not winning and you're not responding, right? It gets harder for the fans to back you when you're doing that. But regardless, if Mark Shifley had come out and said, I didn't want to, and his response to that was to come out and to absolutely burn the house down from now till the end of the season, and that's how he showed his defiance, fine. But if your defiance is, I didn't want to talk to you. I didn't think that I was accountable to the fans. I didn't think I was accountable to the media. I don't think I'm accountable to anyone but myself. And your response to that is to not respond the way someone would expect a star player who's been benched to come back from it. That's a problem. And to to your point right at the beginning of this question, we have not seen a response that you would have hoped for or maybe even expected from those players after a message was strongly sent by their head coach. And tonight's another example of that. And Sean, I'm just going to, this is not a a shameless plug for my Weebs World Sunday column today, but you were involved in the conversation with Patrice Bergeron and so was I. And we talk about culture all the time. And I asked Bergeron about the winning culture and the importance of accountability. And that answer is in my column. And here's the answer. It's collectively, but it's also individually. It's making sure that we're all held to the same standards. That's the most important thing. No one should feel like they're bigger or above those rules. And we're trying to do a good job of that internally and taking care of our room ourselves as a team and as veterans. It starts with leading by by example, by the leadership core and going from there. And I couldn't love that answer more when I heard it in real time. And Sean, quite frankly, the Jets aren't holding themselves to that same standard, right? There's no other way to argue that right now they're not holding themselves to that same standard. So you're right. I mean, if Mark had come out here and put the benching behind him and been the Jets' best player in the next three games after that, who cares? 
But right now, some of the habits that crept into his game last year have been evident in the last couple of games. And this that's a problem for the Jets because the Jets need they need Mark Shifley to be one of their best players. They need Kyle Connor to drive the offense. And right now that's not happening. And that's not pointing the finger and saying all the Jets issues right now are because of those two players. No one is saying that. And that's not accurate. But in order for the Jets to find their collective game, they need those guys to be difference makers because that's how talented they are. No doubt. Uh, no, sorry, I thought you were going to still keep going after. No, that. I got um, one more here. Let's go to this. Like this is sort of on the subject. But Marshall Patterson says this: Did Bones coach out the offense of this team, or is this just wrong, bad timing? For me. I don't think he's coached anything out of the Jets in terms of offense. The Jets aren't playing. It's not like they're sitting back and playing a 1-2-2 and not attacking. They're still getting chances, but it's the wrong kind of offense. So, And when they're not generating the right type of offense, that's not coaching. That's execution. The The right kind of offense was available yesterday. A slap shot from Nikolai Ehlers, a rebound goal where Adam Lowry won the draw, went to the hard area, banged in his own rebound. And then Pierre-Luc Dubois causing some confusion, driving the net and going backdoor tap to Neil Pionk. So the Jets have the right formula. They just don't add the right ingredients on far too many nights lately, Sean, right? I mean, they know, Nikolai Ehlers said it again today, they know exactly how they need to play, but they're not playing that way. And I I love this answer here too, Sean, at the end uh, of what Ehlers said. Where Where is it here? Sorry. He basically said, we need to decide what's up here, basically, is what he said. They need to figure it out. And, sorry, we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and figure out what we want. And right now, what they want is to make it far more interesting than it needs to be, right? And that That's the biggest issue uh, for the Jets right now, is that they're not committed enough to the way they need to play. And I don't think that has anything to do with the coaching. I think the the, the fact that we look at Rick Bonus on the bench... He's absolutely befuddled at what is what he's seeing. Yeah, um, I've got. It's been a long time since we've had a big uh, Rennie conspiracy conspiracy theory. So here, let's go. Let's Perfect. take a crack at it. My take on this entire thing is that early in the season, Rick Bonus said, "This is the way. This is the way that we need to do this." And that way is guys like Blake Wheeler going in the front of the net, grinding in the front of the net, and tapping in pucks the way that he did the way that it rejuvenated his goal scoring in a way that we haven't seen that much in years past. It was a way that Mark Shifley got to the front of the net, popped in a lot of pucks. Um, It was a way that uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois became a point-per-game player because everything was about him grinding and getting to the front of the net. It was the way that the Winnipeg Jets as a defensive team were able to double their output and become one of the better point production teams from the point throughout the year simply because there was so much chaos created by the Winnipeg Jets at the front of the net that the pucks that get through the goalies have no ideas where they're going and that's how they find their way into the back of the net that's the kind of offense that they were looking for and and I'll be honest with you I think that the kind of offense that Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler train for in the offseason. That's not it. The kind of offense that you are typically used to seeing from Kyle Connor, that's not it. Uh, Nick Ehlers is not a guy who's going to be going to the front of the net. So I'm not sure that 
sorry, I shouldn't say he he isn't going to be, but it's not typically his bread and butter. People have talked about the idea of whether or not the players fit the system that Rick Bonus wants to wants to have them play. The argument that I would say is worth having there is can a guy like Nikolai Ehlers play that style of offense 82 games a year and hold up under that? That's you know an argument I would have, but I think we've seen the proof that was in the pudding is that the Winnipeg Jets were capable of succeeding yeah. under the system that Rick Bonus had put in front of them, and they were able to score goals. It was Mark Scheifele is on pace for the best goal-scoring season of his life. Pierre-Luc Dubois was at yeah. one point way above what he's ever done as a player as far as point production. The, this was working, but I, I'll go back to it. This is the meat of what I'm talking about with my conspiracy theory. The Winnipeg Jets adore love snake charmer offense it's their favorite saucing the puck from one side of the boards all the way to the other side of the boards and getting all the defense to turn and follow that puck and get mesmerized for that puck and then all of a sudden that puck go sauced all the way back to the other side of the ice and then everyone follow it and look that way and then that player drop it into the slot and everyone look up too late to see that a guy's walking and stepping into it and it's in the back of the net that's how these players love to score and I think, Ken, what we started to see, and it was a conversation we had on this podcast in early December, because if you remember, mm-hmm. right at the end of November, the Winnipeg Jets picked it up and started scoring and started putting the puck into the back of the net. And right at the, at the top end of it, I thought to myself, all this scoring that they're doing, what I've seen from this team before is when they start scoring, they start salivating and they want to score and they want to score more and more and more and more and more. And I was wondering if them kind of getting into bonuses system, finding a way to really start producing offense in that system, whether they would take it as this works, let's stay in the structure and keep doing this. Or would they turn it into now we're scoring, let's get going. Let's start those cross ice passes. Let's do all the stuff. We're really feeling it now. And their offense, sorry, their defense started slipping at that time. The Winnipeg Jets at the heart of it, I think, the reason why we're we're seeing them have such a hard time trying to get back to what Rick Bonus wants, the line by Nick Ehlers, we know what we're supposed to look like, we're just not doing it. I think the Winnipeg Jets, when things, their backs are against the wall, they turn back into snake charmer. Let's get back to this. Let's razzle-dazzle. Let's overpass the puck. You saw it last game. They almost lost the game. And then right out of the fire, pulled it out of the fire right at the end, playing Rick bonus hockey in that third period, and then revert right back to the old, you know, sizzle, all sizzle and no steak. I don't want to say it's who they are because we saw that version of them at the beginning of the season be able to play that. The idea that they are going to return to that, which I thought, it, I, I honestly thought at some point they would. The idea that they would actually return to playing like that before the playoffs seems rather far-fetched at this time. And tonight is another example of of them being very, very far from a style of game that would have any kind of success in the playoffs. I just my counter would be this, and this is maybe just, I mean, wouldn't you rather? But winning is fun. So when they have the template, how could you ignore the template? That's what I don't understand, Sean. I'm not disputing your conspiracy theory, but the team was committed, but they have not been committed to the level that is required for this stretch after the first 30 games. 
20 wins, 9 losses, 1 extra time defeat. Since that time, they're sub-500. And because they've abandoned a lot of the things they were doing well. So uh, to me, that's the other part that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That It's one thing to, to enjoy Snake Charmer offense, but not at the expense of of winning and potentially missing the playoffs. No doubt, but Ken, I mean, Paul Maurice was ripping his hair out last year in an effort to try and get this team oh, to go to the front of the net. He was trying I'm to aware. do the same thing with this team that they were like, it's not that the team is like, this is the thing about it. They wouldn't do it for Paul Maurice at the end right. of the year last year. Dave Lowry came in. And if you remember, his practices right off the bat, everything was just going to the front of the net. He was designing every single drill at practice around getting the Winnipeg Jets to the front of the net, and they didn't go to the front of the net. Rick Bonus finally got them to do it, and they saw proof that it was working, and then they started abandoning it all over again. Like, I know it seems crazy that a team would... I, I know it seems crazy that a team would see evidence of this is how we need to do this and then abandon doing it that way, but that's exactly what we're seeing. This is not an illusion. The Winnipeg Jets abandoned the style of hockey that gives them success, and they did it ha- at the last half of this year, and they've done it the years previous, and now three coaches have sp- spent their time tearing their hair out trying to figure out why they're doing it. I'll be honest. You know how everyone always can? How many times have you been asked by Winnipeg Jets fans, what is it with this team? What's up with this team? This team has like one of the biggest je ne sais quoi in the history of sports. And I think Kevin Dayoff asks himself the question. There's no answer to it. There's no answer to what it is other than they just, this is what they would rather do. They would rather razzle dazzle than win. It's as simple as that. It's got to be an, it's got to be an obvious choice by this stage. They would rather play a specific kind of game, a specific kind of effort on their terms, not on their coach's terms, but on their terms. They would prefer that even though the evidence tells them that that is going to make things turn out badly for them. They will stick to that. They will go with that. And that is this group. That is this, this group or certain members of this group, but a large chunk of the core of this hockey team, that is who they are, who they've chosen to be. Three coaches have tried to change it. At this stage, all the people who are asking for a teardown, this is another reason, Ken, why I think there will be a teardown in the, in the summertime around the draft. Uh, regardless, I think that that's coming. And the reason I think it is coming is exactly that. There's no doubting at any stage that this team has something in it that allows it to respond to challenges like this. You've tried all the coaching changes. There's no other way to go other than a personnel change. There's no other way to try and solve this than to look in a different direction because they've looked for answers to this question and over ever since 2019, they have not been able to find it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be massive changes, but I know we don't agree in terms of rebuild versus retool, but that's that's a debate for another night. Uh, just one quick one here. And Maul, you're missing the point here. Sean and I, our feelings aren't hurt that Mark didn't speak. And in fact, I was there in Carolina. Oh, Maul's just messing with you. He's just I'm, been, I'm quite play. happy with the, 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 the quotes from Nino Niederreiter were fantastic. We're just saying that uh, that, that was messing. not the point of that. That was not the point of the conversation. Nobody yeah. had hurt feelings. I certainly did not have hurt feelings. <laughs> and I was there. 
He's, uh, okay. Um, hey, sorry, I got to go, uh, Lou. Here, yeah. For, for for the folks uh, who have realty needs that need to be met, you can con- whether you're buying, whether you're selling, whether you're looking uh, to see what that house in the corner is worth, or maybe moving uh, to another area of the city or in the province. You can contact our main man, Lou Ferlin, at Royal LePage Dynamic Realty two zero four seven nine one nine nine seven one, or at the office two zero four nine eight nine five thousand. His email is Lou at louferlin.ca. That's L O U at L O U F U R L A N dot C A, and his website with all of his listings is www.louferlin.ca. Lou Ferlin, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of the community, including this podcast, for which we are very grateful. You remember that one time? Oh, yeah. Got it. Love Sweet Lou. Absolutely love Sweet Lou. Remember that one time uh, I gave uh, Ryan Friesen a shovel because I thought he was he was actually trolling me? I thought he was like, oh, that was actually genius trolling. He totally got me to bite. Uh, and and it turned out it was. He just like, he was just going to hit that thing over and over and over and over again, that dead horse lying in the street. Well, I'm starting to think that Maul is an evil genius because check it out. He knows exactly what he's doing. The fish on the line. He knew what he was doing. And I did too. When he started Maul, you hurt my like, feelings, Don't Maul. Do Kenny. Don't hurt- do it, Kenny. He's, he's, he's going to get you. And Jeff knows it too. Kenny took that hook line. And- uh, Absolutely. If Maul was you know what? I haven't, I haven't dropped any wake-ups for a while. So maybe that was a wake-up for Maul. Hey, let's, before we go here. I think that was a wake-up for you, to be okay, honest. Okay, well, there you go. Well, you know, it's been a long weekend. A lot of writing that had to be done here. So uh, here's the thing. Going into the weekend, this is what we talked about. We know there was a lot of debate about Tuesday in Carolina. The reason why Riddick played was to give Connor Hellebuck the option of going back-to-back on the weekend. And they did that. And the Jets got one win out of two. Now I think the Jets are forced with a big decision. I think the initial plan was to play David Riddick against the Arizona Coyotes. Sean, do you think that Riddick starts on Tuesday or do the Jets have no choice but to go with Hellebuck with his 55th start of the year, given that the Arizona Coyotes have been playing better and the Jets don't did not give themselves any excess breathing room here? Or do you think they have to play Riddick because then you can play Hellebuck on all three during the California swing? Um, I... I- I think that they're in territory where they got to go with Hellebuck. Yeah. Like at this stage, okay. if, you're, if you're going down this road of, yeah, we're just going to go with him on back-to-backs now and we're just going to like take load management out of this and we're going to take a goaltender that is, you know, his numbers are creeping up over the last little while because we're just going to keep playing him, but like we just can't afford not to. Like, I think they've already put it in that territory. So uh, there's going to be plenty of games down the stretch where they have lesser teams to play against. The Co- Arizona Coyotes have been breaking hearts as of late. Uh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, I, I would expect to see a Hellebuck, but at this stage, I'm going to be surprised when I see David Riddick down the stretch. Absolutely no doubt about that. I think he still needs um, to play two of the last 11, but I'm not sure if they'll be on back-to-backs or if they'll be one of these games against maybe against the Sharks or against somebody else. But Right now, I would go with Hellebuck on Tuesday also. Yeah, and Rain with a good point here. It won't matter when the Jets put up a goose egg, we could play with an empty net. Uh, hey, I, I wanted to say this. Um, when it comes to Connor Hellebuck, I didn't want to get into this, and I'm not like trying to beat down on this, because I, I'm going to be the first one to acknowledge, and we have a lot of fun with the MVP conversation. Uh, 
and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and we're closer on this than you think. Ken and I love to kind of take a side and I'll do the Morrissey thing and he'll do the Hellebuck thing. And it's fun to do that. I'll be the first one to like tell you, like right now, I think the Jets, where they would be in the standings compared to Connor Hellebuck, there's no doubt about it that they would be below the playoff line if not for Connor Hellebuck absolutely stealing points for this team at point, at stretches of this season the same as i think this team would absolutely be out of the below the playoff line if Josh Morrissey weren't out there kicking his team in the butt getting them going and doing it fine i'll do it by myself and his way and his team's way back into games the last time they played the St. Louis Blues a perfect example of that but i do have to say this like Tonight, and I had people like sending me like MVP and all this kind of stuff with Hellbuck. Who I, I'll say, like, he he made great saves. But I don't know where, where we can get to a stage where like a player's letting in two goals on eleven shots or three goals on seventeen shots. Like, with the, how we can be doing this kind of stuff with a straight face. Like Connor Hellbuck was not the reason the Jets lost this game. Let me make that upfront and clear. But to be talking about this as that it was some kind of angelic performance in any way is ridiculous. It's okay to look at reality and be like, on this night, Josh Morrissey didn't have a good game. On this night, Connor Hellebuck didn't have a good game. Did Connor Hellebuck save a lot of nice shots in this game? Yes, he did. He also led in three shots on 17 goals. He's also in a time where his team has, has needed to find a way to get on the board first, and a lot of that clearly has to do with their offense. But the Jets have allowed the first game and goal in nine of their last 10 games. Eight yep, of those games are played by Connor Hellebuck, right? So if you want to give me the line about Connor Hellebuck is, is and again, this is, this is by no means, I, I'm not trying to win the MVP debate with this right now. I'm trying to give people a dose of reality, just like we should and point out the times where, when Josh Morrissey had, had, you know, issues on defense and pucks ended up in the back of that because of his defensive play. But if you're going to give me the, the, you know, well, Connor Hellebuck stopped that next shot. Yeah. Well, he, they won six, five, but that's because he stopped the sixth goal and all that kind of stuff. Then you need a goaltender who every once in a while is going to shut the door so that you aren't playing from behind in every single game. It's problematic that the Jets keep getting scored on first. I do not blame that on Connor Hellebuck, but if Connor Hellebuck is the, savior that people are like trying to tell me that he is over and over again and they're ignoring every goal against and pointing to any slight save he makes as as proof there's a living god like let's calm down here this is a situation where the jets aren't playing well right now their goaltending is part of it their ability to score is part of it their ability to defend is part of it the jets are not a team that is running on all cylinders they may not be running on any cylinders right now. So let's just park that conversation. I'm going to do it on this day. Like I'm not trying to push Josh Morrissey for MVP or push this. Let's just all look at reality here and figure out what's going on with the jets. The fact of the matter is not a lot is working for the jets right now. Yeah. And I mean, and I understand where you're coming Power from. Play. And, I, and, I know Power you're play. and you're not blaming, but I mean, I there's two backdoor tap-ins, two back, I mean, I three on 17. I, I don't like the people. I mean, no, you're not doing this, but it's three on 17, but a breakaway and two backdoor taps. I don't see goaltending. Goaltending is like the 19th issue in the game for the Jets today. And the power play, again, was not good at all. I do give the Jets credit for change. I mean, they did take the credit. They did take some of the advice. And, of course, they, they th- had thought of it themselves. I like the fact that they at least tried Ehlers on the top unit. It didn't work immediately. That doesn't mean don't like abandon it. 
I'd like to see Ehlers on that unit, but with Niederreiter and Dubois on it. I mean, right now, right now, Kyle Connor's not scoring. So I know you want to get him going, but I mean, I think they need to have Ehlers continue to be on the top unit and try to sort it out. Yeah, I know some folks are making fun of me. I my <laughs> I had a sticky trigger finger and, and it came out as poorer play uh, during one of the tweets and folks were quick to jump on it. Uh, that was one of the accidentally uh, accidental things that I did. I've always said Twitter needs a, a, an edit button and that was another classic example. But It helps just... a lot of us know that Ken Weeb is not perfect and that's the first <laughs> example I've seen so far. So. Uh, so stick with the stick with it, or maybe make a couple other tweaks. But just removing Ehlers immediately is not the answer either in this situation. Uh, right now, keep Ehlers on the top unit. They have struggled so mightily with zone entries that you're chasing thirty sec. You're knocking thirty seconds off right away. So give Ehlers an opportunity to continue to work with that top unit and see what it where what happens. It doesn't mean Shifley has to continually be in the high slot, even though he's great there, Sean. It's a dangerous area for him. No, he doesn't get as many puck touches, but he does. He is one of the most dangerous players around from that area. So I think they still need to make a couple more tweaks, but removing Ehlers from the top unit is not one of them. I thought it was interesting that they had Dubois and Nino uh, on the same unit, on the second unit, both guys going to the net, and they did create a great opportunity, Dubois finding Niederreiter in tight, but it was a good glove save by Joel Hofer in that situation. So I'd like to see Niederreiter and Dubois on the top unit when Ehlers is on the top unit, but that's easy for me to say from from this chair, but it's our job to give our opinions. Uh, No doubt it is. Okay, uh, it is time for us to throw a spotlight on the comments and choose a standout for the home field dig deeper award. Ken, I'm going to choose two. Why? Because I forgot to do it last night on the show, even though I said that I was going to be uh, doing it. Uh, oh. So let's do it too. Let's do, we're going to start with two. Um, let's start with Sean Reynolds, oh, brooding sorry. pessimism, who says apparently that mission statement everyone signed in the preseason <laughs> was in dry erase. It's wow. funny. I thought about this. I thought about this just the other day about that kind of credo that was up on the wall. I'm not so sure that credo is being followed uh, the way that it was uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, This is a tough one where they stand, but Sean Reynolds brooding pessimism gets one. The second of the home field dig deeper shovels goes to James Anderson, who says, I'm having a problem calling our power play a power play. I don't really see a lot of power on a night where I thought the listen, I don't like to get over the critical of the refing. The Winnipeg Jets got the better calls tonight by the Jet, by the refs. There's no doubt about it. The opportunity to get a four-minute power play that came out of that, I was blown away by that call. You know how I feel about the Nino Niederreiter call, Ken. That what was, was Tori Krug doing, though? Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. What is he doing? What is Krug doing? Slamming the stick? Like, what is he doing? And then kicking his helmet? That was... That was insane. Well, I, I and it wasn't a dirty lost. play. It wasn't even a dirty play by Stenland. Walker lost he's his balance. Doing, he's so frustrated that that he gets four minutes is what it is. He can't believe he's being given yeah. four minutes. And to be honest with you, I can't believe he's been given four minutes in that situation as well. It absolutely blew me away. But the fact that the Jets got that call and had yeah. the four minutes and were not able to get anything going in that situation, I mean, it, it is just blowing my mind how good their penalty kill is 
and how bad their power play is. I mean, if you didn't have one at the very top of the league when it comes to your penalty kill, I don't know where this team would be, but we would be talking about the Jets being out of the playoffs and we would be talking about their special teams as being maybe the biggest biggest self-inflicted wound on the way south of the playoff line. Uh, anyways, Sean Reynolds brooding pessimism and James Anderson, you know what to do. Get a hold of me, direct message me at SN Sean Reynolds. Send me your full names and send me an email where I can send you your uh, voucher to claim your Kenyan runny slash home field dig deeper shovel. Congrats for that. And I want to say thank you to both of you for your winning comments. And just like the both of you, Homefield is always going to dig deeper to find the best marketing solution for your company. Find out how at myhomefield.ca. Ken, great job here tonight. Chat room on fire as usual. Uh, bringing in some comments. Hooking old Kenny, old <laughs> Kenny over here. That was a little bit of Beauty, and I just want to say before we do go, let's throw it back out. I would love to see everybody down at our final Kenny and Rennie live at TransCanada Brewing Company. I'd said it, that game against the Nashville Predators would have been the Jets' biggest game up to that point in the season. It's going to be like that again this weekend. Like, if you don't think that that game that Kenny is going to be at in L.A. between the Los Angeles Kings and the Winnipeg Jets on this upcoming Saturday is going to be absolutely a, a earth shattering game one way or the other you you uh you, you just got to come around to the idea that it is and i got to tell you one thing i love doing ken i think you love doing it too uh and i think all of you in the chat room who are there it's a lot of fun watching the game in that environment when the jets tied up the game twice and then went in overtime those were three of the biggest pops that i've <laughs> experienced this year even being in like i mean the room controls it but even being in the jets uh uh, arena for their games this year. Those were huge pops. People were really excited. It was a fun environment to be a part of. So come on down and join us this March 25th, the Saturday. Go here, scan it, go find your tickets and come join us. Uh, we would love to see you one last time. Thank you, chat room, for all you do. Thank you to all the people who came to see us on March 18th. Great job, Ken. Uh, and I'll end this the way that I always end it by saying, if you appreciate the conversations happening in these spaces, please, please appreciate our sponsors who fight to keep these conversations going in these spaces for us. That's Vittorio Rossi, TransCanada Brewing Company, the Johnston Group, Lou Ferlin, and of course, Homefield. Thank you to all of them. Thank you to all of you. We will chat with you Tuesday after the Winnipeg Jets have another huge game against the Arizona Coyotes. We will see you all after. The Kenny and Rennie Show is brought to you by Homefield. Cambrian Credit Union. Lou Ferlin. Trans Canada Brewing. Vittorio Rossi. And Johnston Group.